sometimes just the anxiety of trying to prove themselves is what makes them fail. And so if you can have a conversation about, hey man, like I'm, I got your back. Like I'm not here to do anything other than make you better. That anxiety will calm down. Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again for another edition of Code 3. This is the show that gives firefighters the information they need in about 20 minutes. Let's get started. The way we used to train newbies in lots of jobs, not just firefighting, could best be described as tough love. And that's being charitable. We were downright mean to them. And if they came back, then maybe they were suited for the job. But newbies, or in this case probies, are different nowadays. They're smarter. And if you treat them the way we used to, they're likely to just quit. You may say good riddance, but if we built these folks up instead of trying to tear them down, we could end up with some pretty intelligent firefighters. That's why today's guest has some tips on how to turn millennial probies into firefighters without acting like a drill instructor. Jacob Johnson is a battalion chief with the city of Pearland, Texas. He began his fire service career with the Katy, Texas Volunteer Fire Department in 2000 and later became a career member of the Katy Fire Department. And Jacob Johnson joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Let's start with how your probie experience went. What do you recall about it? So, you know, for me, it was it was uh, it was pretty typical, right? Pretty traditional for the fire service. It became a part of uh, me joining the junior volunteer fire department when I was 15 years old in my hometown of Katy, Texas. Uh, we're originally from Louisiana. We moved to Katy and, and that's where I got my start. So, you know, it started young and I attached myself to one person and his name was Pops and I was able to take a lot of learning from him and a lot of mentoring from him. He had been on the job for many years, both volunteer and paid. And he really brought me through what it should be as a probe and what I should do. So, you know, if, if I needed something, he was there. On Saturdays, he would call me and he'd say, hey, kid, what are you doing? Well, I mean, I'm not doing anything at 15, 16 years old. So he'd say, come to the fire station and let's train. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, it was a lot like that. And when I got into the career side, you know, it was a little bit more intense, I guess you could call it, and a lot more of the why uh, as as to what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and the importance behind it. And it was just a really good time. And, and I really accredited to the fact that I always had that one person in the fire station or, or within the shift or within the crew that, that I could lean on and, and really depend upon to, to get me going. Now, that may be to some degree an atypical experience because you started so young. I think it's maybe more common for people who join as an adult to be, or as a young adult, to be treated kind of like they're in a boot camp. 
Sure, sure, absolutely. You know, and, and I experienced more of that boot camp mentality, and I actually talk about that in my class, Mentoring the Young, of, you know, fire school is your boot camp, right, is your is your basic training, and then the fire station should be your MOS, your specialty. And so, but within that MOS school for the military, you still have some of that boot camp mentality, and, and I definitely experienced that as as a probie on the paid side of the of the career, uh, but like you're saying, it is atypical because I was kind of already used to it. When I was a probie, I'd already been in the volunteers and in the junior volunteers for, for a few years, so I was kind of ready for it. And it is a little bit harder, I see even today, for some of these young men and, and some grown men, you know, we're talking fathers and husbands in their 30s that hit the fire service saying, well, wait a minute, you know, what is this about? And then you really have to break that down for them and make them understand the why. Now, I've done interviews about millennials on this show several times. We know they don't like to be told what to do without being told why. But they might also lack some basic, what we would call life skills. How do we deal with all this when we get one of these guys in? I think it goes back to uh, kind of the the process that I preach, right? We We have to learn how to make them proud. Uh, because making a millennial proud or making a younger generational kid proud is, is a very difficult task because sometimes they come in, like you're saying, without life experience. And sometimes they really haven't had anything proud or make or haven't had anything to make them proud uh, in their life. So we got to figure out how to do that. You got to get involved in their life. The greatest example I have personally is I had a rookie hit the station who he didn't know how to mop. He didn't know how to fold clothes. He didn't know what a Phillips head screwdriver was, you know, and the list went on. So when I'm sitting here and I'm like, you know, like this kid's going to be a fireman, right? And he's on my crew. So he depends on me and I depend on him. What are we going to do? So it was very simple. We said, okay, like day one of the shift, because we worked 4896. So two days on, four days off. We said day one, we're just going to teach you how to be a human being, Right. So, like, literally, we broke down, and each person of the crew would say, okay, this is a screwdriver, and this is what you use it for, and this is how you fold clothes, and I taught them how to mop, and and we really honed in on those life skills, and then we said day two, we'll focus on how to become a fireman and how to improve on the basics that you learned in fire school. We got a lot of success with that, you know, when we did that process, and now that same kid, two and a half years later, Man, he cooks for his crew. He cleans all the time. He folds clothes. He has his own house and keeps it clean. And and he's really progressed in in life, right, as much as he's progressed on the fire ground. And I really think the reason behind that is because we were able to really hone in on what he was missing and how to teach him to just be a generalized human being, you know, before we just focused on – on uh, fire school. How did your coworkers deal with that when you said we've got to teach him how to be a human being? Right. <laughs> uh, well, I'm gonna tell you, Scott. It, it wasn't. It wasn't the most popular suggestion, right? Because of course they're all a little bit older, or they were raised in a different way. I guess you could call it. And so they came with these very base skills to life. And I said, look. I said at the end of the day. You know, this this kid depends on us and we depend on him. And if we can't depend on him to fold a shirt right or to mop the station right, then we're not going to we can't depend on him to operate right on the fire scene. And it took a lot of coercing, right? It wasn't just a, hey, this is what we're going to do and here's why. And, oh, yeah, let's do it. It took a lot of, I guess you could say, here's my point and here's the proof, right? And so it was like, if I asked this kid to go get me a Phillips head screwdriver, 
you know, and we're on the fire scene, but he doesn't know what a Phillips head screwdriver is. And he's, he's failing at both, at both ends of the spectrum here. And so when it, when you had a lot of those point in cases or, you know, here's the point, here's the proof type cases with these guys, they were able to sink in a little bit more and then really buy into it. It wasn't a true successful program until I had all five of the crew like bought into like, yes, this is what we're going to have to do to make sure this kid succeeds. You mentioned mentorship, but mentorship is typically something that you look at to advance your career once you have the basics of it down. How do you work with someone who's coming in as essentially a ball of raw dough and turn them into a firefighter with love for the job? Uh, so for me, it became um, a process, right? I came up with a five-step process. And it was make them proud, you know, get involved in their life, ask them how they learn, love them, right? That's something that we miss today in the fire service. You got to love these kids. And then for me to do my job, and for the crew to do their job. And so what I mean by all these, when you break them down, you know, how do you make them proud? Well, it was very simple. I would take them on their very first day, and I'm talking like they just put that blue bell in the freezer, they just put the cake on the counter, and you take them out to the pumper and you put them on the front bumper and you say, look, I want you to hold this helmet, I want you to sit tall, I want you to sit proud, I'm gonna take a picture of you first day on the job, right? And, and then I explained to them the importance of that bumper, right? Like how many times people have sat on it when they're going through something hard, the shoulders that have, that have leaned on there, the gear that it's held, and the importance of that bumper, and how this is the only time they get to sit on it until they earn the right to sit on it again, right? And so that's like step one, make them proud. You know, they do it because they're thinking that I'm the boss and I'm asking them to do it. But what I'm really trying to get them to soak into is that this is the start. Like this is that moment of I'm a fireman. And while wow, this is happening and then, and then you got to sit down with them. You got to ask about their life and you got to get involved in it and figure out where there might be some disconnect or whatnot. So you can jump in there and start helping them or start mentoring them to improve themselves. Uh, a good example of that would have been this kid that came in that he had no signs or symptoms of life, Scott. I mean, none. Uh, it was like I was talking to a brick wall. And what I found out is that he truly loved music, everything about it. He used to be in the, in the studio. He knew everything about the beats. He knew all the latest and greatest, you know, songs and artists, but it was rap music. Yep. Well, <laughs> I'm from, yeah, I'm from the country, right? So it's like I, I had to sink in and I had to learn rap music. And when I was able to learn rap music and actually hold a conversation with him about that music, the light bulb kicked on. Now I'm in, right? So I'm involved in his life, and now he's going to listen to me and take my advice in a different way than if it was just, I'm the boss. I'm thinking there are probably people who are saying, you're nuts, that's way too much work. Yes, sir. But, but the question that I think I would have for them, and I could let you ask it, but I'll ask it. Okay is what are you going to do with them if you don't do that? If you got a brick wall who doesn't really know a whole lot about firefighting, if you don't take the time to get to know rap music, then what are you going to do with them? That's right. He, uh, he, he would be completely lost. You know, and, and I think not only just lost in the job, but he would have been lost in life. 
when when I look back, you know, Pops was in his 50s, and he took a little bit of his time to invest in a 15-year-old kid, right? And now here I am 20 years later, and I've promoted through the ranks. I currently sit as a battalion chief in a, a very progressive, fast-moving fire department. And I can only attribute that back to that one guy that took just a little bit of time to invest in me because it opened my eyes and it made me take his learnings and his teachings and his advice and all of his words in a whole different realm than I have when I've had supervisors that are just like, you're doing this because I said so and don't worry about the why, you know? So I think by doing that, you get to love them. And and then all you have to do after that is do the job that you were here to do. And, and then I think the mentoring falls in place as long as you accomplish some of these steps and get them invested in you as much as you're invested in them. You've given me a couple of examples, but are the majority of the people you see coming in nowadays like this, or are these, are these extreme examples? I think there's a good mix at this point. I think there's more coming in like that than there has been in the past. My concern is that as these kids, you know, start to come in, right? I mean, I also teach at a fire academy and I see them every day that I'm there. Right now, there's 23 of them that are almost probably 20 out of the 23 that are exactly like what I just described. Wow. That, and they're coming to a fire station near us, you know? Yeah, that's kind of scary to think about it. I mean, I've talked with people who've said, well, you know, when we were younger, people saw us come in and they probably said he doesn't know his ass from his elbow. He's never going to be a firefighter. But these kids, I think, are a little different than, than just ignorant about firefighting. But I did have a guest once who said to me, Scott, I hate when you and other people say that. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, when you say that they're not cut out for it, because what's your alternative? You're not going to have any firefighters until the next generation comes along. you got to work with them somehow. Absolutely, you have to, you know, because me, I only have, you know, 15, 20 years left on the job, and i got to pass this place off to somebody. And so if, if I'm not... You want to leave it better than you found it. Absolutely leave it better than I found it, but I also want them to make it to their retirement, you know, and, and enjoy the things that I've enjoyed because Scott, I've, look, I've had a career for the record books in my opinion, right? Uh, I've, I've had a phenomenal career and I'm not ready for it to be over by any means, right? But I mean, if God stood before me today and said, I have two questions for you. One, did you do your job as a leader? I better be able to answer yes. And two, if he were to give me the choice, one of you's got to die, either you or that kid. Well, I'm going to choose me because I want that kid to enjoy every aspect of this job that I've enjoyed. And I want that kid to be able to see the fire service that I've seen. But the only way that he's going to see it the way that I've seen it is if I'm able to invest in him and get him to accept these teachings and these mentoring lessons and this advice that all these senior guys have to give to him or her. Well, you obviously have a great attitude. But I want to go back for a second to some of those people who may have a lesser than great attitude. I don't know your crew, but you've got people who may feel like it's a waste or don't bother me, kid, or whatever. And I'm curious if 
do they all play or do they, some of them just sit back and just not say anything? I don't think I've, I've really had anybody that wants to sit back and cause trouble. But yes, some of them don't play and some of them is by their own choice and, and some of them are by my choice, you know? Really? Yes, sir. You know, I've had to have those hard talks of like, look, man, you know, you had somebody, right, that mentored you or when you were a rookie and I was a rookie, those senior guys, they called us dumb. They called us idiots. Like, we know it happened, yeah. you know, but the difference was they didn't sit on the couch and eat a bag of potato chips. They put us on the floor and drilled us until we couldn't drill anymore. And if you're not willing to do that as the senior man, if you're not willing to respect the guys who taught you by teaching the others, then you're not welcome to teach this kid at all. I don't want you anywhere around them. But if you would like to step up and do the job that you're supposed to do as a fireman in today's service, then step up, you know, and, and it's that conversation you have to have. And that's what I mean is like, after you have that conversation, some are like, no, nah, I'm good LT or I'm good chief. I'm just going to sit right here and eat these potato chips. Well, okay. Well, then now I know who I can count on and who I can't. And then you have others that are like, no, I understand your point. And yeah, I need to step up and, and I apologize. And I've, I've had some. I've had some come to me and say, yeah, I need to step up. And when they do, they do a fantastic job. And then I've had some that step up for a couple tours. And then I'm like, hey, dude, you're not you're not cutting the grade. So we're going to ask you to step back. Now, have you run into a probie in this group who's not making the grade either? I mean, they're just not they're not cut out for the job. You know, that's a hard one, Scott. I have. Um, but I would also like to sit to think that we were able to work through some of that. You know, I mean, we had some that, you know, just wouldn't, they, they, they couldn't get through a drill without having to, having to take their gear off, or they couldn't get through a, a drill without being frustrated and giving up, or, or whatever the case may be. And, and in those instances, it takes a lot, a lot of patience and a lot of self-preservation. I can say in my career, I've had the, the talk one time of, hey, kid, this, this job is not for you whatsoever, and, like, you're a danger you know, to, to me or to anyone else. No, let me stop you. Was that a kid who really wanted to be a part of it, or did he say, yeah, well, I don't really like this anyway? Yeah, yeah, that's that's what it was. He was more of a kid that was saying, like, well, I've been here for, you know, two, three months, and this just really isn't what I'm looking for. So so it was sort of a mutual thing. Sure, he absolutely. Fit in and he didn't want to fit in. And, and that and that was the one time. Other than that, every every other person wanted it. Every other probie wanted it bad. They just sometimes didn't know how to get over themselves, you know, get over their own mistakes or get over their goofiness or – I mean, sometimes just the anxiety of trying to prove themselves is what makes them fail. And so if you can have a conversation about, hey, man, like, I'm, I got your back. Like, I'm not here to do anything other than make you better. That anxiety will calm down. And, and a lot of those that were kind of iffy on the spectrum there, we were able to push to the, yeah, they'll be all right. So you sound like you're optimistic about millennials. I mean, there have been people I've spoken with who've been like, well, we have to work with them, but you sound like you're actually optimistic about it overall. Absolutely, 100%. You know, and, and like, I, like I say, the only reason I am optimistic is because, you know, I, I'm a part of the millennial generation. Right. If you were born between 84 and 96, you're a millennial and, and that's me. And someone from, you know, baby boomers took a chance on me and, and, and said that I was worth their time. You know, and, and I think the important thing to remember as, as 
fire service leaders and as senior men and women in the fire department is these kids coming to the fire station today, they are worth your time, right? I have a saying that I coined early, and it was every kid is owed the opportunity to have a love affair with the job, right? They go to fire school because they think that firefighting is cool or they want to be a fireman. They come to the fire station because they want that opportunity to love the job. And, that, and that's just my personal opinion. Somebody might say, you know, no, that's not the case. But to me, you go through all of that in Texas a year to go to fire school and then get your EMT and you go through all of your clinicals to ride a fire truck. You want to be there. You want to fall in love with it, but sometimes you got to be shown how to fall in love with it. So I'm very optimistic with everything and very optimistic with the kids coming because I think their success or failure relies more on me and my crew than it does them and themselves. That's great. Jacob Johnson, thanks for talking with me on Code 3 today. You bet. I really appreciate the invite. It was a great time, Scott. I'll admit I have been accused of thinking of some millennials as snowflakes because they don't learn the way we did. I went to a TV news photographer's boot camp of sorts during the 1990s, and one of the instructors told us his goal was to make us cry. He had a lot of victims, though luckily not me. But now I understand that millennials won't accept that kind of training because, well, they don't have to. What do you think of the suggestions you heard today? Bear in mind, even if you don't agree with them, you may still have to take them into consideration to get your job done. You can leave your comments on our website at code3podcast.com slash mentorship. There's links to more info there as well, so check it out. And if you want to get a discussion started, just send someone you know who has strong feelings about training probies the link to this episode of Code 3. It'll get them talking and could lead to a real debate, which is always fun unless the people debating are running for president, and then maybe it's not so much fun. Plus, personal recommendations are the best way to grow this show's audience, so I'd appreciate it. Spread the word. Thanks. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next week with more. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.